This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Right, documentary time on this week's socially distant sports bar. Happy Friday if you listen on Fridays to the free version of the podcast. If you would like to get involved in getting it into your inbox on Tuesdays rather than the Wednesday-Friday combo you got at the moment, then head to patreon.com slash distantpod. Mike Bubbins, it is your documentary. I love this doc. I absolutely love this documentary. This is on the NFL Films uh, YouTube channel. It's also on Game Pass, you've got Game Pass. It is a series that NFL films make called A Football Life, and this one is about Franco Harris. 50 years ago, the greatest play in NFL history took place, and it was all improvised, baby. Give me a beat. 1972 playoffs, Raiders at the Steelers, down by one with 22 seconds left. Fourth down on our own 40. Hit those keys. The call was 66 circle option. Drop that face. We were making things up right from the snap. And I was scrambling. I see Frenchy Fuqua downfield, and I let her rip. Then Jack Tatum laid the hammer down. Franco Harris plucks the ball out of thin air to win the game. But I still don't know what the heck he did on that play. Improvised, I guess. Who hit the ball first? Did he catch it? I don't know. I didn't see any of it. I'm thinking, wow, perfect pass. All I know is that play launched the Steeler dynasty. And the sweet music of four Super Bowls started with Mr. Improv himself, the great Franco Harris. And if you don't know about Franco Harris, folks, well, you're about to find out who he is. 
You're going to be a football player when you grow up? Today is the best day of your life. Believe Give it. me 18 years of daylight. That's all. Greatest leader I've ever known. What a ride it's been. I love being a running back. Those tough games, those big games. I loved it. So there we go. Quite a poignant story behind this. You'll notice when you see the, uh, if you watch the the film, that there's a card to Franco uh, commemorating his life with uh, the 2022 date at the end of it there. So he passed away in December time. I didn't know this until, I think it was December, maybe it was the end of November. My um, my brother-in-law and my sister came over for Christmas time. Okay. And Franco's a huge, huge star in, in Pittsburgh, regarded by a lot of people as the best player in the best ever Pittsburgh team. They won four Super Bowls in six years. They were just, they were the team of the 70s. And there was a catch, which is, I think I've picked it on here before, frequently voted as, as the the best play ever in the NFL, called, called the Immaculate Reception, where he picked up a, a rebounding ball and ran it into the end zone. And it was 50 years ago in December that that happened. And that sort of, if, if he hadn't have done that, they would have lost that game and that dynasty may never have happened. So that's seen as the turning point from a team that were really rubbish that became really, really, really good. But he was gutted to go to them in the draft, wasn't he? Oh, he was devastated. They hadn't won anything for 30, 40 years. They were hopeless. But on the back of that play, they went to the Super Bowl. Actually, I think, no, I don't think they did that. I think on the back of that play, they went to the conference championship and lost that year. But they went back to the Super Bowl the year after that and they won four of the, of the next six Super Bowls. I love this documentary and he comes across so well mm. and we'll talk about it. More obviously, but I'm going to say something probably controversial because I don't understand the sport. Yeah, I didn't think the play was that impressive. That's interesting because I felt similar. And, and the catch yeah. is something I've seen rugby union players do loads. Well, I've seen NFL players do it loads as well. It's right by his feet, isn't well, it? It's bootstraps, as they say. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's a, it's yeah, it's great. But it's certainly not, it's not the Gareth try against the Barbars, is it? Which impresses me every time I see it. I think it's more what it led to. I think if, if, yeah, if that uh, Barbars try had been, if it had been a try for Wales and Wales had been awful for years and years and years and that try then turned them into the team of the 70s. It's, it's, that, yeah. it's more that it, was a, it yeah. was a turning point in a team, in a franchise and a team. Okay. But the point being, it was 50 years since it happened and they were going to put, um, they were going to, re- I think they were going to run about retiring Franco's number. It was the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. So what they were going to do was they were going to paint the field the same as it was in 1972. They were going to try and make it look as authentic as they could. Okay. Bring Franco up before the game. Big presentation to celebrate that 50 years of it. He died like the week before. He died oh. a couple of days oh, before. I didn't know that. All the preparations were in place. Everything had been advertised. It was all ready to roll. And he literally passed away, I think, about three or four days before the, before it happened. Gosh. So just weird how the sports gods sometimes conspire to do weird things at weird times. But um, so that never happened. So this is the documentary that was they'd already made. Mm. He finished recording this about a month or two before he died, I think. Really? Really, really sad story. But um, what a player. What a player. Yeah. When you get to Pittsburgh, which is a great city, my sister lives there, so I've only been there a couple of times. In the 70s, it was known for industry. It was known for steel. That's why they're called the Steelers and coal. Really heavy blue-collar industry. You know, there's lots of uh, photographs of, of Pittsburgh back in the day just covered in that sort of smoke and that smog and that sort of dust everywhere. Now it's just a stunning place, a beautiful city. But when you get there, the first thing you see, and they mentioned it in the dock, and it's true, the first thing you see is a Franco Harris statue. 
That's pretty cool. In the airport, and you get you yeah. get in the sort of in the lift there, and there's another one of the Steelers talking, telling you all about Welcome to Pittsburgh, you know. And then you go down another level, and there's a big Pittsburgh Steelers sort of cutout where you can put your face in it. They're just they are football mad. It is a football mad yeah. city, and he's the biggest star in a football mad city of, of their best ever team. So, but he just comes across so, such a bloody nice bloke yeah. as well, doesn't he? That's the, yeah. that was the thing for me. Like I said. Like Alice says, I didn't quite get why this is voted yeah. to be the best play in NFL history. We got a clip in the second half that is better play than this. Well, that's that's the oh, point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah. I, I don't quite understand that part. I did, I get your explanation, but as a bloke and as a bloke's story and his clear love of pretty much everything, his teammates, the city, the history of the jazz in the city. I I was fascinated by him and his take, even like from his dad being a GI yeah, yeah. and meeting his mum in Italy and then them coming home. And I, I thought that element of the story was fascinating, how he wanted to be uh, special forces when he was growing up mm. because that's what he knew. He yeah. knew the army and he knew that side of the world. And I've never really thought about that, where if your parents were in the forces, are you naturally sort of more inclined to go towards it because that's what you know. Yeah. He also, he seems to be loved because he played quite spontaneous football, am I right in saying that? Yeah. Whereas now the plays are far more prescriptive. So you you act upon things that you've done to death in training. Whereas he seemed to be what my dad would call a sort of head-up rugby player, quite more reactive. There's a school of thought with coaching, with, uh, which is called Run to Daylight which is where your your offensive line will make the blocks they think are the best blocks. And you rather than you, you know you're going to run between right guard and right tackle, if the gap is between left guard and left tackle, you go through that. So you you don't you don't just run to where the play is called, you run to daylight. So yeah, that line they had in, in Pittsburgh were great. But Franco, Christ, I mean, I didn't realize I I knew a lot about him anyway, but watching this video again and seeing some of the footage I hadn't seen before, what a runner. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. balance and size and speed, fucking speed on it for a bloke yeah. that size. And he always looked, I mean, it's no shock to anybody that I love the 70s. Talk about a bloke who epitomized the 1970s. Yeah. When he had that. But the good, the good bits. That big hair, the bloody big collars, the great looking jackets. Just a cool, cool looking man. Huge sideies. Massive sideies. I tell as a, as a as a Welsh bloke uh, whose who's, you know, family is from the Welsh Valleys, what I liked about this as well, about Pittsburgh, especially at the time, there was like Franco's Italian army. So there were people who would dress up because, like I said, he was he was half Italian, half American, but mixed race as well. There's a real melting pot. I know, I know it's an overused phrase, but when you live in, a, in industrial areas, you do get... You've got a, so Pittsburgh was where most of the Welsh people in America first settled because of the mines okay. and the steelworks. Yeah, they right. stopped by Steadford until the 1930s and 1940s, you know? Okay. So you, you get Welsh coal miners and you've got a lot of Polish coal miners and you get a lot of you've got a lot of Italians coming over there and you've got there's a real mix of people in Pittsburgh, like a lot of blue collar areas get. They haven't got the sort of class system we've got as such. But there seems to be less of a I don't know, compared to some cities in America, there seems to be less of a it's less of a racial thing. Okay. So so the Franco was just seen as one of them because he was you know, he was this tough, tough nosed football player. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't look at Franco and go, he looks like an Italian. Do you know what I mean? 
No, but, no, that, but that, that was the part of his heritage that they, they latched onto. And they said every yeah. player, you wouldn't just have the, the team flags. Every player had their own group of supporters. That's fanatical. You know, I love that. Christ, imagine. I saw Sinatra dressed up in oh, yes. you know, Franco's army kind of stuff at one point. Yeah. They, they sort of inducted him into their supporters club. Great, isn't it? Like, That's really cool. If Sinatra's on your team. And really getting the sort of, because where football's always struggled since the 40s, right? Because of the face mask. Mm. You don't see players' faces. Sure. And the NFL are really keen on on players, people getting a link to a player. It's much, much more easy to get enthused about a team and get behind it when you when the players are recognizable. So it's tough with a with a face mask and a helmet, and especially if you've got a visor on your on your face mask as well. Mm. But they really got the cult of the individual with that with that Pittsburgh team in the 70s. The nice thing about that for me was even though there was that all the players had their own fan fan clubs almost. The overriding quality that they talk about with Franco and when it's his teammates, saying he was a team player. Yeah. He didn't care who scored the points. He didn't care who, who scored the touchdowns. That was irrelevant. It was about the team winning. He was sharing points with other players in his position because they said he was just obsessed with winning. And also, he seems so community-orientated. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's trying his best to renovate and refurb a jazz cafe that was really, really popular in the 1940s at the sort of height of jazz mm. and he's really passionate about it and there's the interviews a, a jazz band sort of who all look like they're in their center oh cool those old guys yeah they look great yeah they've been doing and that he, for 50 years just hanging around with each other playing music he's he seems to be just someone who loves where he's from but also wants accepts its faults and wants to improve where it is he's from yeah well he's a new jersey and, native i think but he loved pittsburgh like, like steph said at first because they were the draft being what it is, and this is another reason I love the draft, which I do, they were rubbish and had been rubbish for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He hated going there. He didn't want to go there. He then goes there, turns that team around. They then become the team of the 70s, of a then 26-team league. Yeah. Some of those records that he, that he set were done in 14-game seasons. That's, That's nice. People forget that as well. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I were playing 17-game seasons. Yeah, I like the bit where they were talking about the jazz club and they talked about how people would stop off in Pittsburgh because you'd get bands who were in uh, Chicago and bands who were in New York. Yeah, I love that. And they'd Didn't travel you? in yeah, the opposite directions and they'd stop. They'd all stop there. Yeah. It makes perfect sense because that's your stop-off point. And I'd, I'd never thought about how you'd sort of wind up then with a load of crossover jazz musicians, one, mm. go, one lot going from Chicago to New York, the other yeah. lot going the other way. Be wicked, yeah. Just have these fantastic gigs that are impromptu. Well, the Blues Brothers is Chicago, isn't it? Yes, yeah. You get an, just impromptu gigs where some of your favourite musicians would turn up. That must be been amazing. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. But it'll be in a position where you, you go somewhere and you end up loving it. And you can, and I know it's another phrase that's been done to death, but you do give back. He spent the last 40 years giving back to that community. Yeah. Never went back to Jersey, stayed in, stayed in, stayed in Pittsburgh. That's been a brilliant sort of community leader. And why is it up to the nice people? Why do the, some, what are some wankers if it's be a hundred? And you get great people like Franco Harris. The, the, the week when it's going to be about him for once in his life, right? Yeah. And that team was full of luminaries. Trey Bradshaw, Mean Joe Green, uh, Jack Lambert, Lynn Swan, right? And then this is Franco's day. Thanks, Franco. This is your day. Yeah. You fucking died three days before. Yeah. Oh, grim. Not grim. We've all got to shuffle off. But I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. He seems so uncomfortable in the limelight. Yes. And... He seems so uncomfortable receiving praise. And yet, deep down, he must know that he was something special. Mm. But he doesn't think he's special. Yeah. So he, he comes across, I'd never heard of him, and he, he's one of the most likeable uh, subjects of a documentary we've had. Good, I'm glad you liked him. If I was a, a big football fan, he would be my, he would be my guy. Well, teammates, they're saying that, you know, if, if we have a problem, the first person on the phone, you might have read about it in the paper or something. Frank will pick. Yeah. You know, Frank was on the phone. It was the, the quarterback was saying, wasn't Terry it? Terry Bradshaw, yeah. That's it, yeah, yeah. He was saying that he'd been ill and then Franco's on the phone just checking in. Amazing. Making sure you're all right. I love stuff like that anyway because I like teammates who sort of, you might not phone each other for years, but you're always a mate. You're always a teammate. I kind of like that vibe. I love watching ex-players, especially the older they are, the better it is. Mm reminiscing about their playing careers because he's in his early 70s. Who's the person he has the meal with, Mike? Oh, God. It's not Joe Ham. Is that is that his name? Or? Jack Ham. Jack Ham. And they, they go for a meal and they're just talking about playing in the sort of late 60s, early 70s. Mm. Although it's, you, you get the similar sort of feeling when you when Gareth Edwards is asked about playing for Wales in the 70s. They're so they're like, their eyes twinkle because I think occasionally... I think some people are bored about being asked the same questions. But I think others, and Franco Harris is a good example of this, has come to accept that what he did was very, very special. And this likes talking about it because that was his, you know, in the, there's there's nothing wrong with reminiscing about something you did in your 20s and mm. 30s, especially when it's, <laughs> you've given so much to a community that still inspires you. I love I love that. I just think it's really Well, lovely. NFL films, I've banged this drum before, right? They do it so well. They really get the... They're, they're the best. They're the best. They really get the nostalgia side of it. They really get the humor stories of things. I won't go at length into it now, but on the back of watching this, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched another one, which I'll pick in the future, about the, the Dolphins team that was unbeaten in, in 72. Okay, yeah. Bloody hell. And it was just... They meet up every five years. Oh, really? But now there's less and less of them. Well, yeah, yeah. So they've been doing it now for 50 years. yeah. And that's just the way it is, you know. So they're, they're not down to a, to, a, to a few. And then they go, well, listen, we know that one day one of us will turn up and there's no one else there. Oof. Well, like, the, the, the spirit of 58 boys. Oh, Cliff, Cliff yeah. Jones and Terry Medwin met Gareth Bale and the rest of the squad. Lovely. 
And so I think I think there's another two who were in the squad but didn't get on the pitch who are still alive. Okay. Of the 11 who played. Wait, so that yeah. might be in a documentary. Yeah. Why do they do that? How, how fascinating would that be? Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You just yeah, think yeah. NFL films just get it. Yes. And you haven't got to be Kelly watches for me. She's not a football fan. She, she you know, she'll watch a bit of it if, if I'm in the room watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loved it. But it's not a football story. The best documentaries are, no. are they? The best no. documentaries are human stories. Even just looking, I, I was fascinated looking at his hands in some yeah. of the early shots because obviously they're huge. But obviously he's had a professional sports career, so they're kind of a little bit mangled and a little yeah, bit yeah. funny directions. I always love that. And then the bit where they were talking about how some people perceived him to not be what a running back should be because he found exits off the pitch. So he yeah. would he would run, but not necessarily yeah. into contact. And I love that because that's, well, first of all, it's clever. And I thought yeah. like that anyway. Self-preservation is quite, there's, there's nothing tough. Wrong as Korea. It's the whole argument you have with idiots. Game's gone soft brigade in rugby, right? Mm. They were the sort of things that were got level to him in certain quarters Absol- in the seventies, yeah. right? And his theory was, well, do I want to shatter my knee for an extra yard? Yeah, I'm our best running back. Yes, you know? I'm, I'm I'm running for a hundred yards a game. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll take a I'll take a, a yard less here, and I'll be in the next play. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. People people have won us heads. Yeah, and then they showed all the situations where it was, you know, fourth and you know fourth and goal, where he was going through. And he was taking the contact to try and score. And you're like, well, you're not scared, are you? You're pragmatic. Exactly, mate. Look, the dickhead who said that wouldn't last one fucking snap in the NFL. Exactly. Like the same idiots talking about rugby players and the game's gone soft. So go on then, mate. You have a game against Samoa and see how you get on. Yeah. Yeah. And that first tackle when you shit your pants and, and, go, and, and walk off the field crying, right? Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. You didn't you, know you'd watch me play. <laughs> Do you see my dad? These people, frankly, just, they just don't get it. They don't understand what it's like. Yeah. Is that a common thing then? To run off rather than... Not uh, then, Christ. The contact. No. Is it, does, does it happen more? Because to me, it seems a, a bulletproof argument. Well, yeah, because you keep the ball in football and you can yeah. kill the clock. So, it, you know, if you're out of bounds, you, A, you get the ball back, B, you protect yourself and C, you stop the clock. So it's... Yeah. If you're on possession, it makes more sense. But people wanted him to go inbound and smash, you know. Like Steph said then, you know, those same idiots. Give them a helmet and a pair of pads, fourth and goal from the one-yard line. Say, run through there then, mate. See what on, you're have on. a go. See how it's going to work out for you. See what happens. I also like the shots of him where he'd had the really big breakthrough in a preseason game. And then his first NFL game where he's like, oh, shit, this is a totally different yeah, sport yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Where's this come oh. from? How refreshingly honest was that? Yeah, exactly, yeah. You don't hear that from sports people. Is it? No, like, you never watched it. Like... was a scary nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, they're good. <laughs> yeah, they're good, they're fast, and they're Because college football is massive, and he was brilliant in college, right? And it's, okay. it's probably the biggest sport in America, right? Mm. But such a small percentage of those lads make the NFL. You're lucky if in a big program, you know, UCLA or one of the big schools, Michigan, you know, maybe a couple of those boys will make the NFL every year yeah. in the biggest colleges. So when you're playing college football and you're a superstar, you're suddenly, when you get the NFL, playing against all the superstars from all the colleges in every game. Yeah. Yeah. The difference in, in, in level is, is just, it's night and day. Just be And in certain positions, it, it, you know, there's certain things where they're maybe a bit more reactive, that, that maybe there's, a, there's an easier slot in, but Christ, you, you go from running against college defences 
to run it against NFL defenses. Yeah. It isn't the same thing. One of my first memories of football, even before Channel 4, I think it was, was a Coca-Cola advert. Was it with me and Joe Green? Okay. Do you remember it? Was no. it Joe Green? I'm sure it was Joe Green. And a little kid, you know, comes up and gives him gives him a Coke after a game. I'm sure that happened. Okay. I'm sure I haven't made that up. But that's, I mean, that's a really, it's a really cool team. Yeah. Steelers. I said on it before, if I hadn't been a Packers fan, if, I, if I'd have been into football 10 years earlier, it would have been the, probably would have been the Raiders or the Steelers because they appeal to my, yeah. you know, what I like. That sort of blue collar. And do you know what as well? I was thinking, you're talking about his hands. It is unbelievable how cold it gets in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. Like I saw that Thanksgiving game there about four or five years ago now against the Packers. Yes. I've never been so cold in my life. I, I like to think, imagine playing, imagine trying to catch a ball in this. Yeah. It was 40 years, I think, since the thing called the, what, was the, what did they end up calling it? Oh, God, Cincinnati were playing. I can't remember. The, they, they gave it a nickname. Oh, it's minus six there. Yeah. Oh, that's nothing, mate, honestly. Look at the Cincinnati game, 1982, I think it was. Right. Coldest NFL game ever. Where with the wind chill, it was minus 50. Oh, we discussed this. We watched, <laughs> um, we watched a doc about this. Minus Surely 50. you have to call a game off. <laughs> Too cold, guys. Too cold. Come on. Come on. No one's enjoying that. And also, that Three River Stadium where the Steelers used to play, which is, I think it's, have they knocked it down now? Hines Field's not far from there, anyway. Okay. But that was, again, the early version of AstroTurf as well. So, oh, no. a bit like a concrete pitch. Yeah. Like a concrete field, minus 25 degrees in the winter. A school hockey pitch. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, Tar. No, no. Tough, tough boys. And you got all the arseholes saying, you know, so-and-so's weak or so-and-so's this. Are they? Okay. I don't think they are. There's a good chance you're talking about them. <laughs> Do you fucking want it? He's lacking bottle. He lacks fucking bottle. He doesn't want that, does he? Sack them all. He's fucking lacking bottle. There's always some prick doing some of that, isn't there? I reckon the 11 of us could go out there now and play better. Yeah, yeah. What's he doing? Because I fucking want What's that. he doing? Just fucking catch it, innit? <laughs> catch it, run. We run yeah. off four again. Steelers, man. And that was, I'm trying to think of the owner. It's the Rooney's, isn't it? Irish family. Okay. Roy and Colleen. What? <laughs> That's them, yeah. Yeah. That's the ones. Wayne Rooney was American football I team. knew he was older than he said he was. <laughs> he was actually 44 when he scored that goal against Arsenal. You imagine the war, right? We talked about Dixie's Eden in that pre-war earlier. And yeah. obviously a lot of football here stopped in the war. But some got played. I didn't realise they still played games. Mm. Yeah, regional games, yeah. Yeah. So the, their version of regional games in the States was they combined teams. Okay. So Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Yeah, I think it was just those two. Was there another team with them as well? Right. Yeah, the Phil Pitt. Steelers-Eagles, which became known as the, the Steagles, right? It's a, they, it's a shit was name. A, it's a crap name, isn't it? It's a shit name. <laughs> shit name. Come on. The war going on, you come up with a shit name team for yeah. sports. <laughs> There's another really good doc I watched about the, the the origins of the logos and stuff, and they said that, so that's Steelers. What's um, the logo there? Because the name, I presume, is to do with steel workers. Right, so check, this is this is really good. So oh, they, just they, people nicked stuff. They used to have a black helmet, plain black helmet, right? Yeah. Black and yellow, because I think that was the Steelers' colours, or Pittsburgh colours, basically. Okay. But plain black helmet. But then they're Steelers with a double E, as in steelworks, right? Yeah. So steel, like British coal or whatever, mm. American steel had yeah. that logo, because it's the three elements. I think it's fire, iron, and water, or whatever it is, however you make steel. Okay. 
So they're the, they're the, three, the three stars are the three elements of steel. And then, then they have the word steel in there. Right. So they change it to steelers on the side. And I think they're going to get some special sort of dispensation to be able to use it off, off uh, the US steel. That's weird. But they weren't sure whether the fans would like it. So they only put it on the helmet on one side of the helmet. Yes. For a game. The first game they tried it. Yeah. They won the game. And then sports superstition being what it is. Yeah. They thought, well, fuck it. Don't fuck with this. We'll just keep it on one side. So they're the only team in the NFL with a a logo on one side of the helmet. That's a weird combination. It would be like Middlesbrough, Mm. a steel town. Their football club having the badge that was like the British steel logo. Basically, Yeah. 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 That's weird. I love all that. Little, little quirks, though, do you know what I mean? But yeah, so Franco, I could watch NFL documentaries all day long. And you do? Yeah, and I do. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> when, when you've run out of far right ones to get through. You've been very busy, actually, Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. Actually. <laughs> Did you cook dinner, Mike? How am I supposed to cook dinner and watch this? Let me tell you about Jerry Rice, Kelly. <laughs> Is it for work? It, it will be eventually, yes. There, there will be food here. <laughs> I love it. Sit you down and talk to you about Dan Marino instead. <laughs> Oh, don't get me started. I'll be here all day long. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm really enjoying the playoffs at the moment. Um, I know some of our listeners don't don't like the NFL. I love the NFL anyway. Mm-hmm. But these docs, if you if you like the NFL or don't like the NFL, it's free. It's on it's on YouTube. But what an absolute treat as an as hour long documentaries go. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, let's round things off for this episode. What are we on? What episode is this? 144. 144. 144. We've completed the 12 times table. (laughs) That's that's as far as numbers go in my mind. Numbers don't go anywhere. We don't teach kids numbers beyond this. We've done a a gross of podcasts. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) Magic. That's always the aim, is to reach. And some people still not. Chipping in, yeah. After 144 yeah. episodes, it happens, man. It what happens. a sad life. But I can't remember how many episodes did we do three books for? Because it's more than 144 oh. books would have recommended. Right. Yeah. I've got to tell you this. This is a great One. idea. One of the what? listeners. What? James Taylor. I think his name is. I guess if it's not you, James, I apologise. <laughs> to be honest, mate, you get more of a name check than I usually give people. Right? Go on. What's he want? How's this for an idea? Because I'll be honest with you, right? Yeah. I've read all my sports books now. That's a fact. I've read all of them. Yeah. Go on. And if I buy more ones, I will yeah. read them, but I certainly won't read them in a week. He said, which I think is a bloody great idea, why don't listeners suggest a book and maybe even write a review for a book? Okay. I like this. I think there's something in us doing one book a month that we all read and then doing yeah. that as a separate thing. Oh, yeah. Well, for the patrons. I don't know, yeah. 
I think that might work nicely if we did a book that we read. Noel Gallagher's Book Club. Noel Gallagher. <laughs> He's not a man who likes reading. I think he. I think he took the piss. I think he just. Years in the 90s said that he didn't trust people who read books or something. I think he's yeah. probably softened his attitude towards books <laughs> uh, in in recent years. But I certainly remember years ago him saying something along those lines. <laughs> book club and Michael Owen's movie right. club. I reckon we've recommended... <laughs> I reckon this is our 178th book recommendation. There we go. Hell. I think. I'm willing to be corrected on that because maths is not my strong point and Rishi is correct. We should all have more maths lessons. What I would also point out to Rishi is I have maths A level. That's done me fuck all use. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I got a B in maths A level, but I'm oh, struggling yeah. to add up if we did three books up to episode 17 hmm. and then we're on episode 144. I'm struggling to work out what that is. 178, is it? I think so, but I did just say that, so you might be being influenced by that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, that'll be it. <laughs> right, Alice, what, get, get in touch with us, actually, at Distant Pod or on the Patreon WhatsApp group if you have ideas of what we can do with yeah. this book review. Because sometimes we don't go in enough depth, I think, yeah, on I the do. books. So get, give us but some if, ideas if of what you, we can if do. If you want back covers, I'm your man. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yes. In, in 2013, yes. Noel Gallagher yes. took an unexpected broadside at imaginative writing, branding the art of fiction a waste of fucking time. <laughs> Good lads, what's a I only read factual he... books. I can't think of. I mean, novels are just a waste of fucking time. Gallagher told the writer Danny Wallace in an interview to Marcus becoming GQ magazine's icon of the year. I can't suspend belief in reality. I just end up thinking this isn't fucking true. But that's all of his songs. <laughs> the guitarist, exactly, the every single song. Went on to explain how he preferred reading about things that have actually happened, citing Ernest R. May's depiction of the White House in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Kennedy tapes, as the kind of book he can get into. I'm reading this book at the moment thinking, wow, this actually fucking happened. They came that close to blowing the world up. Yeah. So um, I was just talking to my friend about it, who actually is electric. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And has a family full of eccentrics. <laughs> Fact. Uh, Gallagher, the driving force by the band Oasis during the 1990s, the literary industry is bound up with issues of class, arguing that people who write and read and review books are fucking putting themselves a tiny little bit above the rest of us who fucking make records and write pathetic little songs for a living. <laughs> According to the booksellers, Kathy Retzenbrink, Gallagher's identified an incredibly serious point. He's saying <laughs> what loads of people in this country think, but don't normally have a platform to say, Retzenbrink added. They're too thick. Vast amounts of people who feel this way <laughs> do feel that people who are comfortable with words look down on them. Well, so they should. This isn't necessarily a problem for the books industry. That's explained. what looking down's for. So with a third of adults who else never, you look eat, down on? never eating for pleasure, and one in six adults having literacy problems, it's a problem for the country. It's not a little. No, it's a problem for fucking lazy people who don't read. But so why imagine read. just ruling out fiction? Or reading. No problem. This is going to sound awful. People who can read look down the nose, people who can't read. Yes, they do. For the last 10 years, I've read almost no fiction and I've just read no Gallagher stuff. Since you read that interview, you've read no fiction. (laughs) I've read nothing but Graham Hancock books for the last five years. (laughs) I read politics and history and sport. That's Mm. all I really read. Reading a great book about uh, Putin at the moment. Pewter, is that your choice for episode one four four? No, no, but I'm 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 not I'm not going to remember. What's it called? I'll fetch it for you now. Last novel I read was called The Guns of the South. What was? Last novel I read, Guns of the South by Harry Turtledove. Yeah. Okay. 
Really good. We're making part of the house into a little reading area where we can just sit and read a book. Kelly's idea. Really? Yeah. I quite like the that. The Age of the Strong Man, How the Cult of the Leader Threatens Democracy Around the World by Gideon Rackman. Nice. I'm enjoying at the moment. Nice. A book I expect to enjoy is yes. a book that should arrive today. Okay. to an email I've just read. Right. It is the authorised biography of Ivor Oldchurch. Oh, Nice. By Peter Stead, Barry Boy, historian, and David Farmer, who wrote History of the Swans. And I was prompted to read this because I bumped into someone who I'm hoping listens to this show on the tube in London on Sat last Saturday. And he told me his Ivor Orchurch story, where he'd gone to watch Ivor play in a um, charity game in Pencoid, I think. And he really, really wanted to meet him when he was a little kid. And uh, there was a massive queue and all the bigger kids were pushing in front of him. And because uh, they were all trying to get Ivor's autograph, and it was a really, it was a glittering array of people playing this charity football match. Some rugby players, I think Gareth Edwards was playing. I think he said that. And, right. And um, eventually, his dad said, "Listen, we're not going to get his autograph. He's too busy." And Ivor said, "No, no, I've seen him. I'll give him an autograph." And uh, he was only a little kid, and he said, "He said that is my. I've seen him play. I can say I've seen him play, and I can say that he sort of there was a tiny little act of kindness, and I've got his autograph, which I still got in the house. But I'm afraid I don't remember this person's name. But I thought I'm going to buy a biography or an autobiography of Ivor Orchard, and it came out in 1998. And um, he was he was some player, Santiago Bernabeu, who was the chairman of Real Madrid in the 50s, which is. Obviously, the, the, the ground they I was going to say, he's named after the stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After the 58 World Cup, he described Olchich as the best inside forward in world football. Fuck it out. So he was, he, was, he was some player. He was really, he's in the English Hall, uh, Football Hall of Fame. And, you know, he was known as the golden boy of Welsh football. So he was at the Swans. And it looked, that, that 50s Swansea team looked like they were going to get promoted to the first division for the first time. But they would fall. They they were playing attractive brand of football, but they would they would fall at the final hurdle, and eventually the 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 club weren't investing in the team, and he decided to go to Newcastle, and he wanted to stay at Swansea because he loved the area. He was a Swansea boy, and he didn't really want to move away, but he was able to earn after they got rid of the maximum wage sixty pound a week, which was huge. But he was he's a real legend up in Newcastle, and then he came back to Cardiff, and then ended his career at the Swans. He relegated the Swans with a hat-trick in the South Wales derby. But until Ian Rush broke his record, he held the record for most goals scored by a Welsh player. He shared it with Trevor Ford. In fact, he scored 23 goals for his country, 68 caps, played in one of our greatest ever teams. You know, there's a statue of him outside the Liberty for a reason. He was a, he was a really, really fantastic footballer. And would, I think it probably would be between him and Ramsey, actually, for that position in an all-time Welsh eleven. That is a horrible call for you to make. Yeah, it's, it's one I'm really struggling with. I, I think about it quite a lot. Um, what does inside forward mean? You nowadays, what's that midfield? It would you'd be sort of the deeper striker. Okay. So you were sort of you 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 did score goals, but you were often sort of killer passes for your number nine. You'd be playing sort of deep in the hole, I suppose, is what you would is yeah. how you would describe it nowadays. It's not really a position that exists anymore. A bit more of a, a bit of a sort of string puller, like a sort of cross between a striker and and an attacking midfielder. But he was uh, he was some player. The volley scores against Hungary, I think, in the fifty eight World Cup, which is easy to find on YouTube is fantastic. And when you consider the kind of ball they were playing with as well, is even more impressive. So I am about to read 
Iverall Church MBE, The Authorised Biography, which came out in 1998. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.